Thank you, Ruth, for, uh, uh, for those prayers. Uh, it's good uh, for me uh, to be uh, back here with you. About three weeks ago, I was uh, flat in bed um, with uh, excruciating back pain. Uh, things uh, took a remarkable change when I got moved from the bed to a chair to the ambulance. And then by the time I got to the ER, I was... Um, I can't call it anything but a miracle. Uh, I was like virtually without pain. Uh, since then, it's been sort of up and down. I have good days and bad days. Um, I have an MRI uh, tomorrow, so we'll hopefully see if there's uh, any significant damage going on. So we'll see uh, what happens. I have a stool up here. If I sit um, halfway through, it's because um, I'm starting to feel tired. But I'm grateful for, uh, for all your prayers and grateful that uh, um, I'm able to move around and walk, which was not the case three weeks ago. So glad for that. Uh, one announcement. Um, uh, th- so the middle school youth are hoping to uh, put together some summer days of, of projects where they're uh, able to uh, be of service to the community, uh, either folks in the church community or in the, the broader uh, ribbon community. So if you yourself have any projects that you think uh, the youth could, uh, could manage, or if you know of a neighbor, or if you know of others uh, who would be able to, uh, uh, to um, uh, benefit from having uh, some project done. It's, they're looking for things that they could do uh, probably in an hour or two or so uh, on any given days, and they're hoping to put some of those days together. So if you have any needs like that that you're aware of, um, just let Brandon know, uh, and then uh, they'll uh, put that together. Our offering this morning is for our Christian education program and for uh, Emmanuel Ministries. Uh, You can uh, uh, put those offerings in the boxes at the back as you uh, uh, leave the church, or uh, you can give online, or you can uh, send a check to the church office. Let's uh, pray together uh, as we um, consider all the gifts that God has given to us and as we prepare to hear God's word. Let's pray together. God, as uh, Ruth just prayed, we are grateful for uh, this church and for all of the ministries. It's a difficult time right now as ministries are thinking about what to do come the fall. And uh, we face, at this point, some significant challenges uh, as to ministry as usual. And we pray that you grant our ministry leaders wisdom, knowledge, understanding as uh, they try to navigate well um, how we can do ministry here. And we're grateful for all of the ways that we reach beyond ourselves. There have been some, uh, some really uh, 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 some neat projects, some things that we've done uh, beyond ourselves uh, in the past uh, weeks and months. And we're grateful for that opportunity you've given us. And so we continue to pray uh, for the ministries of our church, and we're grateful for, uh, for all of our members, uh, for all those uh, who call Emmanuel Church home. Uh, We pray for each one of them, uh, thanking you for them, and thanking you for the ways that your spirit moves in our lives to bind us together, to knit us together, uh, to be your people here in in this church, in this place, in this city. We pray this all uh, in Jesus' name. And now we take just a moment, dear Lord, we take just a moment just to be quiet before you. to check our hearts, to focus our thoughts,
to consider our lives and our desperate need for you. We're about to hear from your word. We're about to hear a word that you have for us today. So in just a moment of silence, help us to prepare our hearts to hear your word. Blessed Jesus, at your word, we are gathered here to hear you. We're gathered to let your word inform our lives, shape it, mold it, to let your word sink deep into us so that we will be your people, your people. Not a people of our own, but a people that belong to you. Let your word now move deeply and richly into our lives. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. The Old Testament book of Ruth is uh, one of my favorite books of the Bible. It points us toward a, a way of living when faced with chaos, despair, uh, uncertainty. Not a bad message for the times that we're facing The book of Ruth points us towards God's redeeming and compassionate kindness shown to Naomi through the characters of Ruth and Boaz. But before we get to the story of Ruth, it's helpful to know the context of the story. Now, next week, we'll begin looking at the book of Ruth. Today, I'd like us to focus on the first seven words of Ruth. Chapter 1, verse 1, gives us the context of Ruth. In the days when the judges ruled. The story told in the book of Ruth is contemporary with the story told in the book of Judges. So let's consider what the book of Judges is about. In the sweeping story of the Old Testament, by the time of Joshua, God had fulfilled two big promises. First, God had promised to make Abraham and Sarah a nation. This came true in the the nation of Israel, a people redeemed from slavery in Egypt. Second, God promised to give them a land. This was also true. Israel had entered the promised land after wandering through the desert. Because these two promises were fulfilled, Israel could be a beacon to other nations. God blessed Israel to be a blessing except the wheels fell off. Israel's hearts started wandering. They failed to obey God's command to drive out the Canaanite nations. They took up the Canaanite gods. Instead of walking closely with the Lord, they wandered away. A spiritual entropy set in. They entered a cycle of despair. Israel took God's blessings for granted. She grew complacent about God's purposes. The first chapter of Judges tells us that Israel failed to remove the people of Canaan that God had told them to. Worse, the nation of Israel adopted the ways of the Canaanites. Their hearts grew cold toward God. 
The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. So God brought judgment against them. God got angry. God turned them over to the enemies that they were supposed to destroy. In response, Israel cried out to God. Whenever they found themselves in a fix, they cried out to the Lord. They looked to God to rescue them from their suffering. And God heard their cries. God sent them a deliverer. God sent judges. Leaders who were filled with God's spirit. Leaders whom God used to save Israel. The story of Judges repeats this cycle through 12 judges. Some familiar ones like Deborah, Gideon, Jephthah, and Samson. Others less familiar like Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, Tola, Jair, Ibzan, Elon, and Abdon. These judges never ruled over the whole nation because God was Israel's king. But each cycle repeated the pattern. The people did evil. They didn't have faith in God. They relied on their own strength. They fell into the hands of the enemy. And then the Lord delivered them. God came to their rescue. We find one of these cycles of despair told in the story of Samson. His story begins in Judges 13. Listen. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was infertile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You're infertile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, that you do not eat anything unclean. Because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head because the boy is to be a Nazarite, set apart to God from birth, and he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. The woman went home to her husband, told him what had happened. Manoah inquired of the Lord, and an angel of the Lord confirmed what had happened. Manoah was afraid, but his wife saw God's hand in it all. And she gave birth to Samson. And we're told that he grew and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. At one point, Samson was in Timnah, a place in the Philistine territory, and he saw a Philistine woman that he wanted to marry. His mother and father objected. Certainly, he could find a wife among God-fearing people. Why did he have to go to the uncircumcised Philistines for a wife? But Samson insisted. And then chapter 14 takes up the story. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. And then he went down and talked with the woman, and he liked her. Sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. In it was a swarm of bees and some honey, which he scooped out with his hands and ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they too ate it. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Now his father went down to see the woman. 
And Samson made a feast there, as was customary for bridegrooms. When he appeared, he was given 30 companions. Let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to them. If you can give me the answer within the seven days of the feast, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. If you can't tell me the answer, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. Tell us your riddle, they said. Let's hear it. He replied, Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. For three days, they could not give the answer. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, Coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us, or we will burn you and your father's household to death. Did you invite us here to rob us? Then Samson's wife threw herself on him, sobbing, You hate me! You don't really love me! You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. I haven't even explained it to my father or mother, he replied, so why should I explain it to you? She cried the whole seven days of the feast. So on the seventh day, he finally told her because she continued to press him. She, in turn, explained the riddle to her people. Before sunset on the seventh day, the men of the town said to him, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And Samson said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. And then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of everything, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he returned to his father's home. This is the word of the Lord. The story of Samson points us toward the story of Israel. Israel was chosen by God's promise, and yet in the book of Judges, Israel is clearly blind to God's promise. They failed to see where they had come from and what God had in store for them. Samson's birth story reminds us of Israel's story. You are barren and childless, but you're going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Samson is introduced with an elaborate birth announcement. Samson was destined to belong to God in a very special way. He was to be used by God, available for God's purposes. But his father and mother didn't have a clue about his potential. The angel says two things to Manoah's wife. One, her son will be a Nazarite from birth. And two, he will deliver Israel from the Philistines. But when she communicates the angel's message to her husband, she says, the boy will be a Nazarite of God from the womb until the day of his death. And she doesn't mention at all the crucial role that Samson will play in Israel's liberation. Manoah and his wife fail to understand the full extent of Samson's potential. It's a God moment. And they don't even see it. Samson's birth story resembles Israel's birth story. Out of the barrenness of an evil world, a world turned against God, God comes with a promise to a childless woman named Sarai. Her children would become a great nation. Out of all the nations of the world, God would choose Israel to be God's people. 
They were picked to establish God's kingdom on earth amidst all the evil of the world. Israel had the potential to turn a wrecked world into a renewed creation. But the only way that Israel would realize her potential as God's instrument was if she maintained her consecration to the Lord. Israel would be a blessing to all nations if she upheld the the vows made at Mount Sinai. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Israel must fulfill God's call to defeat the Canaanites. She had to drive out evil. It was the only way Israel was going to find peace and rest in God's renewed creation and then make that peace and rest available to all. But just like Samson, Israel doesn't keep her vows. Just like Samson, for all her potential, Israel doesn't fulfill God's call. Samson's life was all about impulse and desire. He chases after what he wants. Chapter 14 begins. Samson went down to Timnah, saw there a young Philistine woman. And when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Samson's all about his desire. Notice how he uses this woman. He treats her like an object. We don't even know her name. Old Testament theologian John Golden Gay notes, she's simply a victim, simply the object of verbs. Samson sees her, asks his parents to get her, speaks to her, and goes to get her. Samson has no desire in pursuing God's desire, no interest in pursuing God's desire. Worse than treating her as an object, she is someone who does not have belief in the Lord. Some Philistines of that time had acknowledged the Lord, the God of Israel, but not this woman's people. She's from the uncircumcised Philistines. They didn't believe in the Lord. It's the story of Samson's life. Samson does what he wants goes for what he wants, goes after his desires. Regardless of the cost, he neglects the Lord as God. It's Samson's story. Later on, he goes after a prostitute in Gaza. Later, he falls in love with Delilah. Samson is driven by his personal passions and desires more than by the Spirit of God. He even breaks his Nazarite vows to get what he wants. You remember what the angel told his mother? You will become pregnant and have a son. Now then, drink no wine or other fermented drink. Do not eat anything unclean, because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from the womb until the day of his death. It is implicitly understood that Samson would do three things. Stay away from things unclean, not drink alcohol, and refuse to cut his hair. And Samson fails on all three. First, remember the lion that Samson killed? Later, on a trip back to Timnah to Mary, Samson sees the lion's carcass and inside the dead bodies a swarm of bees and some honey. And we're told, he scooped out the honey with his hands and ate as he went along. And when he rejoined his parents, he gave them some and they too ate it. But he didn't tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. He didn't tell them because to touch anything dead would make you unclean. (laughs) Samson breaks his Nazarite vow to remain clean, and then makes his parents ritually unclean. 
I suppose a contemporary illustration would be, I didn't wear a mask and I met someone with COVID and I passed it on to my parents. He made them ritually unclean. And then part of his marriage celebration, he holds a feast. Now you have to understand, Timnah was the Napa Valley of that area. And we're told there were vineyards. And we know that where there are vineyards and where there's a feast, especially a feast that lasts for seven days, you can be sure there was plenty of wine flowing. Vow number two was almost certainly broken as Samson consumed alcohol along with all the other partygoers. And finally, in the famous story of Samson and Delilah, Samson breaks down and tells Delilah that the secret to his power is his hair. And she cuts his hair, and Samson loses his power. And it's the last of his Nazarite vows. But in it, the full truth is revealed. Samson's weakness isn't because of the length of his hair. No, Samson's weakness is the condition of his heart. Samson fails to remain dedicated to God and he surrenders every vow in his commitment to God. And once his vows are are done, Samson's on his own. Delilah cuts his hair, his strength leaves him, the Philistines come, Samson leaps up to overpower them, but we're told he did not know that the Lord had left him. The Spirit of the Lord had left Samson. The Philistines blind him. They make him a slave, grinding grain in their prison. Samson's life of impulse and desire left him blind and enslaved to the enemy he was meant to defeat. God had graced Samson with the potential to free his people from the Philistines' oppression and the Philistines' gods. And instead, Samson's life is simply a riddle of grace lost. And Israel's life, too, is a riddle of grace lost. The Samson story mirrors Israel's story. I know we want to make Samson into some kind of mythical Hercules, but the truth is Samson is like the nation of Israel. The riddle of Samson, the riddle of Israel, is shown in the riddle that Samson exchanged with the Philistines at Timnah. He had killed a lion and went back later, discovered the honey, And against the laws of being clean and unclean, scoops out honey and eats. Then he makes a riddle out of this incident to fool the Philistines. God intended for Samson to confront the Philistines, but the first battle that Samson engages in isn't a bloody one, isn't one to oust the Philistines. It becomes a battle of wits for his pride and his benefit. In fact, he's so sure of his victory, he makes a huge wager, 30 linen garments. And he puts his riddle to the Philistines, out of the eater something to eat, out of the strong something sweet. And Samson would have prevailed, except for his wife. The Philistines pressure her with threats of death to her family, and she pressures Samson with questions about his love for her. And he gives her the answer, and she tells the Philistines, but they don't come back to Samson with a straightforward reply. They respond to Samson with a riddle of their own. What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Their reply simply is meant to taunt Samson. 
They used their ill-gotten knowledge to twist the knife. They had manipulated his wife, and now they want to badger Samson. The Philistines wanted a great laugh at his expense. Samson was bested by the wiles of a woman. It was Samson's love for her that was his undoing. If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. But what is the answer? What is sweeter than honey? What's stronger than a lion? It's love. Love is sweeter than honey. Love is stronger than a lion. And Samson's love is his undoing. The thing that kept drawing him to the Philistines is what leads to his downfall. Eventually, his love for another Philistine woman, Delilah, leads to his arrest and his death. Again, the Philistines win because they plow with his heifer. Delilah charms Samson into revealing the answer to his strength. And when his hair is shaved off, the Philistines discover the answer to the greater riddle of Samson's strength. Ultimately, love is Samson's undoing. His love for all things Philistine ruins him. And Samson's story, as I've said, is Israel's story. Uh, The Philistines, like a lion, sought to overpower Israel and their God. They came roaring into Canaan in order to conquer But Samson, by the Spirit of God, rips the lion apart. Thirty Philistines defeated at Ashkelon. One thousand Philistines killed by a jawbone at Ramoth-Lehi. Three thousand Philistines brought down at the temple of Dagon. The servant of the Lord overcomes this lion attacker. But like the lion in Timnah, Like the riddle that was his own undoing, it was the honey in the carcass of the dead lion that brought him down. Samson's broke his vow by touching something dead. The lure of the sweet honey moved him to disobey. But similarly, Samson cannot help but find his sweets among the Philistines. A wife, a prostitute, Delilah, Samson is undone by his love for what God has forbidden. It's the riddle of Samson. It's the riddle of Israel. Love for those things that aren't of God. The final verse of the book of Judges says it all. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. Israel's undoing was herself. Israel is the great spirit-empowered servant of the Lord. God chose her to drive evil from the promised land, the land of Canaan. But she settled amongst the sweets of the Canaanites. She continually dipped her hand in their ways to get their sweets. And the story of Judges is the story of Israel betraying her first love. It's the story of leaving God's way to chase her own desires. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. That's the time period in which the book of Ruth occurs. A time when everybody was doing their own thing. Well, they had a king. It was the Lord. 
but they didn't serve their king. Instead, they served themselves. You do you, I'll do me. It was a time when people pursued their own loves. They didn't pursue God's love. And Ruth serves as a reminder, a reminder to the nation of Israel. We will see that the book of Ruth seems to be shouting, remember who you are. Remember, we are not our own, but belong in life and in death, body and soul, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Our desires pale compared to the fullness that God has in store for us. And Ruth will tell us the story of Naomi's move from a bitter emptiness to a God-given fullness. And it will happen because Ruth and Boaz put aside their desires to offer God's love. Of course, we know this story. We know what God accomplished on the cross and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can be so desperate for a Savior, we forget that God has given us a Savior in Jesus Christ. I mean, any Savior we choose for ourselves, family, work, education, political party, being good enough, you name it, each of these pales in comparison to what God has given us in Jesus Christ. In the death and resurrection of Jesus, God turned all despair into hope, all fear into courage, all apathy into resolve. God turned the day so that we can live each day in faith, hope, and love because of what Jesus Christ has done. God turned the day so that no matter what our context, God's call is always the same. Christians are called blessed to be a blessing. We have a Savior. The question that God puts to us is, will we pursue our Savior and his way of love Or will we pursue our impulses, our desires, our want to satisfy ourselves? Liturgist Fran Pratt captures this sentiment in a prayer. She recalls us to Jesus and the recognition that his kingdom and our work in his kingdom take precedence over everything. Let me lead you in this prayer. Maker of all things, we invite you now into our feelings of discomfort, confusion, anger, fear, and worry over how things are going to be. We're reminded that Jesus did not resist the political regime of his time, but instead preached the kingdom of God. That Jesus did not condemn or punish, but instead healed, fed, traveled, talked, and ate meals with people. That Jesus did not worry, but instead prayed when he was troubled. We acknowledge that human leaders are flawed. We acknowledge that human systems fall short. We acknowledge that hardship is always present this side of eternity. 
We acknowledge that Jesus will save the world. Not a politician, Jesus. Not a judge, Jesus. Not a celebrity or even a pastor, Jesus. We acknowledge that Jesus has already begun that work in us, with us, through us. Jesus is saving the world. We acknowledge that the kingdom of God is expanding unstoppable. We ask for your gracious love. We ask for wisdom and compassion. We ask for strength and courage to do our best work for your kingdom, work that will last. We ask for goodness and mercy to follow us all the days of our lives. And we ask for our faith to grow. We set aside worry. And we take up grace and peace, which you offer abundantly. We put our hope in Jesus Christ and in his kingdom. We give thanks that our future is safe in your hands. Amen.